Hi, welcome to episode 602 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott. And the first rule of the Fantastic Forecast is nobody talk about the Fantastic Forecast. I think we've got that covered. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue one and going all the way to issue 645. Today it's Fantastic Four, volume four, number one, from January 2013. Unstable, by the new writer, Matt Fraction, and the new artist, Mark Bagley. So, boy, does Marvel really know how to kill a good thing. As far as I know, sales during the Jonathan Hickman issues were pretty good. But then, Volume 4 happened, and then Volume 5, new relaunches with new number ones, which served as the perfect jumping off point, and sales went into the crapper, and within a few years, the book would be cancelled, like, really cancelled. So this issue... It's kind of the beginning of the end for the Fantastic Four. Hell, I almost jumped off of doing this podcast. The story begins one year from now with the Fantastic Four, along with Franklin. They're in a spaceship getting bombarded with cosmic rays. Yeah, that's just what they need. You can never have too many cosmic rays. But then, Franklin wakes up. And so, every writer kind of picks his own powers that he wants Franklin to have. I guess they're going back to the John Byrne era, where Franklin had the dream powers, where he could predict the where his dreams would predict the future. By the way, the last time we saw Franklin's bedroom was just last issue. And his bedroom, completely redesigned, of course. Franklin wakes up screaming and calls out for his mother, but instead he gets a group of feminine robots called Mombots. So he just cries to himself, I want my mom! So this leads me to ask, where is his mom? Well, she's with the rest of the Fantastic Four 2.6 million years in the past. Which the caption says, the moment where everything went wrong. And Spider-Man is not there. I love the fact that Spider-Man didn't get a final scene. Well, it's been fun hanging out with you guys, but I'm going to take off now. Nope, no scene like that at all. He's just gone. So the Fantastic Four have been eaten by a giant dinosaur, and we see the four of them in the dinosaur's mouth. Reed's arm gets shattered by the large teeth in what is a very grisly-looking injury. And the only way out of this revolting situation is that Reed clicks on his remote control device, and they teleport out of there and back to the Baxter building, Back in good old 2013, just in time for breakfast, and all the kids are there waiting. Ugh, the Moloid kids, Artie, Leech, Bentley, Dragon Man, they're all still here. I was hoping they'd magically disappear between runs like Spider-Man did. The best part is that the Fantastic Four land on the table, and Dragon Man says, My muffins! Franklin rushes in to hug his mother, saying, Don't go away again, okay? Don't go! Already, it seems like the characterization of Franklin has taken a few steps 
backwards. At the end of the Hickman run, he was this super powerful mutant kid who had his own universe, which he created in his closet. And now, he's like a blubbering child over a mildly scary dream. So later, they're having breakfast using an upside-down Fantasticar as a table, since the other table got done broke, along with Dragon Man's muffins. Franklin is still a blubbering baby, whining that he doesn't want to go to space. Reed, meanwhile, has an idea, and he stretches away. By the way, Bagley, or Bagley, as most artists do lately, has redesigned the Fantastic Four's uniforms. Now, they're wearing black and white, which looks a lot better than those all-white numbers. We see Reed in his lab, working on his arm, which is still busted. He's trying to fix it, but he can't, and he's like, uh-oh. Next, we see Johnny and this girl, Darla, a girl with pink hair. She seems to be his girlfriend, even though we've never seen her before. I just looked her up in Google, and her name is Darla Deering. Her first appearance was in something from uh, December 2012 called Marvel Now Point One Number One. Gee, I'm sorry I missed that one. And he's taken her on a date to the Negative Zone. Since when has the Negative Zone been a appropriate place, a safe enough place to take out a date? Johnny's wearing one of those things on his arm that's holding the cosmic control rod. So you better not mess with Johnny when he's got his rod. They're in some kind of floating bubble with a table and a cooking station and a chef named Jacques. Where the hell did they get a chef named Jacques in the negative zone? And Johnny apologizes for being gone and he pulls out this little ring box and he opens it up and inside it's his phone number which he gives to Darla ooh his phone number that's quite a commitment I usually don't give out my phone number until like the sixth or seventh date of course I never make it a six or seven dates so I never give up my phone number in the distance we see little Annihilus leading some kind of battle on a nearby planetoid next back on Yancey Street at the Grim Youth Center and no, it's not a center for grim youth. It's a youth center named after Ben Grimm. You know, I'm picturing the grim youth center as being very much like the YMCA scene from Can't Stop the Music. But inside, we see a group of young men participating in a fight club. Just then, Ben Grimm arrives and yells at everyone to get lost. He did not want to see the inside of his community center to look like the movie Fight Club. I'm sure he was hoping it would be more like the YMCA scene from the movie Can't Stop the Music. So all those skinheads and thug guys, they leave the building, and they knock Ben over on the way out. And of course, the embarrassing video of Ben getting knocked over, laying on the cracked floor, is posted onto NewTube, which is a YouTube-like website. Now, would YouTube have sued if they had actually just called it YouTube? In the video, Ben gets up and approaches the camera, telling the Yancey Street Gang that he's gonna get them. So back with Reed, he's recording an entry for his diary, I mean his journal. Because of his arm, he's concerned that his unstable molecules in his body are breaking apart at the molecular level. His powers are dying, 
and taking him with them. He even asked Herbie the robot, this isn't a Herbie style robot, this is just straight up Herbie. You know, instead of replacing the Human Torch with Spider-Man, they should have just put Herbie on the team again. That would have been so much better. So Reed asked Kirby if anything can reverse molecular, de molecular decay like this, and Herbie says no. Didn't Reed program Herbie in the first place? So why the hell would he be asking Herbie any questions about something that Reed doesn't know? So Reed figures that if there's no answer in the known universe, Perhaps he should go searching for the answer in one of the unknown universes. Meanwhile, Sue goes to take a shower and finds her bathroom has been trashed and the words Bentley Rules written on the mirror. Either Bentley is a massive prick or someone is trying to frame Bentley. Huh. Who could have a grudge against Bentley? My guess is Artie. Well, this is a mystery that deserves further examination, which we won't get. Sue checks in on the kids to see if they're all asleep. Here's another thing I don't understand. For decades, Reed and Sue have been fretting over whether or not they're good parents. Like, how can they, how can they be superheroes, living this dangerous superhero lifestyle, and still raise one kid or two kids? It's not safe. They thought they should, like, hide the kids, send them off to a secret school, you know, give them secret identities, send Franklin off to live with a witch, keep them, keep them away from danger. What do they do with the kids? So after all of this, for decades, they just decide they're going to get more kids. More kids, a lot more kids. They couldn't even handle one kid or two kids. Now they have, like, a dozen kids. She passes by Ben who's trying to delete his video from YouTube, I mean, whatever it's called, a uh, new tube. Ben asks, Hey, Susie, how do you delete these things off the internet? <laughs> He's asking the wrong person. You know who he should contact? Lauren Michaels. And in her bedroom, uh, she finds Franklin in there, scared and wanting to sleep in his parents' bed. <sighs> Suddenly, Franklin is like a completely different kid. Of course... I like the more normal Franklin as opposed to Franklin, the super most powerful mutant on the earth. I'm not a fan of that Franklin, but it seems awfully strange that he went from being like super powerful, confident Franklin to this normal whining kid. Reed comes in wearing some kind of metal cast on his arm. He says he has an amazing idea. In the morning, Reed takes the entire team into this colossal room. It's a uh, shipbuilding building where ginormous spaceships a ginormous spaceship is being built by robots there is no way that this big giant room fits in the Baxter building unless they're using Valeria's uh, stolen Doctor Who technology Ugh, they steal from they steal from Doctor Who they steal time travel stuff from Doctor Doom the only doctor they haven't stole from is Doctor Oz this was Johnny's ship, the flagship of the Light Brigade, that Johnny got from the Negative Zone. Reed has stolen that, he's stripped it of all its guns, and he's going to turn it into the greatest classroom ever. The ship is a space-time machine, and he remembers what Franklin said at the beginning of the issue after his dream, that he doesn't want to go to space. What's the worst that could happen? He asked. You know, 
He's a guy whose son once got trapped in hell. Like, the actual hell. <laughs> you know, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, pretty bad things could happen. He should not be tempting fate like that. Reed suggests they pick some temporary replacements for when they're gone. Because no other superhero team can protect the Earth while they're gone. They've, there's got to be a Fantastic Four at all times. Sue tries to ask if this is a wise move. But Reed is like, I'm fine, trust me. And that is the end of the issue. To be continued in FF Volume 2 Number 1? No, oh, I didn't think we were going to have to cross over. Welcome to episode 602, part 2. It's FF Volume 2, number 1, from January 2013. Parts of a Whole, by Matt Fraction and Michael Allred, with Laura Allred coloring. So you can call this the Pastelistic Four. So it's volume two of the dreaded FF Kids! More kids! Although this time they've nabbed Mike Allred, who's one of those artists that I I really love his indie work, specifically Mad Men. Mad Men. Mad Man. Ah, damn, I missed Mad Man. And Mad Men. It's a shame that creators have to go to Marvel or DC to make any money, because Mad Man was the bomb, y'all. I've never been crazy about his Marvel work, though. And we start with uh, Franklin and Valeria in those ugly white Future Foundation uniforms telling us about the Future Foundation. Well, mostly it's Valeria talking while Franklin makes a bunch of faces. And then it's return of Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Uh, at this point, he's probably the, probably the most famous of the Ant-Mans. Or is it Ant-Men? He's come because Reed has offered him a job. And we learn that his daughter, Cassie, has been killed. Has she? Uh, I don't know. Reed tells Scott that the Fantastic Four are going on a long trip. And he needs another FF to remain in their place. Still, why? Why does he need that? I don't know. Can't Reed just call the Avengers and tell them to keep an eye on shit while they're gone? Actually, I think they, they just need Scott to be a babysitter. And this shocks Scott. He wants Scott to be the leader of this Legion of Substitute Fantastic Four. Meanwhile, Bentley 23 and Dragon Man are hanging around, talking to the reader, as Valeria and Franklin did were doing earlier, introducing themselves. Bentley mentions Mr. Lang, and we know that these scenes are uh, the kids introducing themselves to Scott Lang. Bentley does make the mistake of, of commanding Scott to kneel. He can't help it. He's cloned from a supervillain. Dragon Man points out that he's neither a dragon nor a man. Please discuss. He's an android. Fun fact. Next, in a pretty impressive full-page spread, we see Sue walking on a force field high over Manhattan. I think Allred has pretty much drawn every single building on the southern half of Manhattan. As Sue meets up with Crystal on some kind of ship, well, you might think that she's going to ask Crystal to join this new FF, along with Ant-Man. You'd be wrong. Sue heads right on by Crystal to a room filled with Black Bolt's wives 
where she asked Medusa to join the team. You can tell Medusa's going through a bit of a rough patch in her marriage. You know, with all those other wives, it can be a little rough. Next, Tong, Kor, Turg, and Mick, the Moloid kids, are introducing themselves to Scott. They're hard to tell apart. Turg is the one that's just a head in a floating jar. He's my favorite. He's kind of like the Harry Styles of the Moloid kids. In the winter, my grandmother likes to wear fur. She has a wide variety of Harry Styles. Next, we see Ben meeting with Jennifer Walters, the She-Hulk, in a gym. She breaks a common punching bag for ordinary people. You know, she should have known that was going to happen. It's just such a pointless act of, destru of destruction. He ends up asking her to join the team. And then we have Vil, Wu, and Onami. Two fishy kids and the girl from Wakanda. She's wearing number 17, replacing Bentley as Reed's least favorite. The fish kids don't have much to say, and Anami says that she hasn't been there very long, and that's it. Next, we have Johnny and that new pink-haired girlfriend of his, and clearly, he spent the night banging her out. He has a text message telling him to ask someone about the thing. He asks her about Ben, but what he really has to do is ask her to join the replacement FF. Next, more kids, Artie, Leech, and Alex Powers. Powers says, Alex Powers says they're mutants, and he got his powers from a space horse. I like that. Space horse. I have to Google that. And sure enough, there's a band called Space Horse, a dreamy bedroom rock duo from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sign me up, Space Horse. <laughs> I'm gonna ride that Space Horse all night long. We see Medusa accepting, and She-Hulk saying that she's in. Pink hair girl says, yay, she's in. And Scott Lang, he's turning them down. He thought he was being asked to join the Fantastic Four. Not the Future Foundation. I mean, who wants to join the Future Foundation? I don't even want to read about the Future Foundation. It says he wants nothing to do with all those kids. Join the club, bro. Reed confides in him that he's sick and he's going off to find a cure and the kids really need someone like Scott to look after them. So Scott finally agrees. He joins the kids and he asks Franklin and Valeria to tell him about the Future Foundation. Big mistake. Never ask Valeria to talk. And that is the end of that. Unlike with the Hickman run, the Fraction run starts with a very simple, easy to explain concept. The Fantastic Four have to travel off to parts unknown to find a cure for Reed's illness leaving the kids behind with a group of replacement characters. Three former members of the Fantastic Four and a chick that Johnny is currently hooking up with. Why her? Why the girl with the pink hair? It must be the pink hair. Laura Allred's request, more pink. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at PodcastFF, and you can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. These are just flames Burning in your fireplace I hear your voice And it seems As if it was all a dream 